I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Joe. It's good to be back with y'all. Hello, Point family. It's good to see all of you here today. This is a good crowd. We had a good crowd in the first service. I figured y'all would lay out, but you're here. Thank you for being here. What a joy it is to see you today. Uh, I want to say a special thank you to Pastor Tim. He's a dear friend, and he usually calls me the bishop. I don't know why, but anyway... Uh, he's a good man anyway, and I love him dearly, and he way overmarried himself and missed him, but anyway, they're sweet family, sweet family, and uh, appreciate Pastor John and his leadership here, doing the great work as well, and you guys have a great ministry team. Would you say amen to that? Amen. I think they're a great group of guys. If you brought a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have an app, you can open that to Ephesians chapter 2. If you wouldn't, we'll look at some verses together here in just a minute. I wanted to begin this, this time together this morning with a statement. <clears throat> I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this statement. You can grunt or amen or whatever feels comfortable to you, but here's my statement. Hope has an amazing ability to bring peace when facing insurmountable odds. <laughs> Three of us think it is. The rest of y'all are thinking about it. It snuck up on you, didn't it? Let me run it by you one more time. Hope has an amazing ability to bring peace when facing insurmountable odds. Amen? Yeah, hope has the ability to bring peace when you're in a pandemic. (laughs) Hope has the amazing ability to bring peace when your future's not certain. Uh, Hope has an amazing ability to bring peace in whatever life brings, right? Even if it seems to be insurmountable odds. And many people, I believe, in our world today are looking for hope. They're looking for hope. You know, what do we hope in? Where's the truth? Who do we trust? Where is the hope? And so this morning I've uh, put together some thoughts uh, around uh, a a statement, again, a a title called The Power of Hope. I want us to think a little together about the power of hope uh, from God's Word today. Uh, To help us engage in this conversation, I want us to... uh, Ask and try to answer three questions, if we would. First question is, how do we define hope? How do we define hope? Second question, what does the Bible say about hope? And finally, how do we communicate hope? So three questions, and let's dive right into that first one. How do we define hope? Some people define the word hope with a meaning of desire or wish. I wish this would happen. I'm, I'm counting on, my hope is on this desired outcome or this wish of mine. But the word used in the scriptures for hope carries with it the idea of trust or confident expectation. So let me ask you, in what or whom do you trust? In what or whom is your confident expectation? You're trusting in something today. You came here trusting in something. And so this is the idea of hope I want us to give thought to. Dr. John R.W. Stott, a respected theologian, defines hope this way. He says, hope 
is a joyful and confident expectation which rests on, notice what he's trusting in, what his confident expectation is in, it trusts on the promise of God. We used to sing a song about that. You remember that? Standing on the promises of Christ my King, right? Can you think of today, and I'm just going to, this is spur of the moment, off the cuff, here we go, and this is non-rhetorical. What is one promise you've heard God made, now listen, in this book, not cleanliness is next to godliness, please. That's not in here, okay? I know your mama's always said that, but that's not in here, okay? What is one promise in this book you've heard from the Lord you have confidence in today? Can you give me one? Non-rhetorically, he's coming back. Amen. First John 14, 2 and 3. Yeah, or John 14, 2 and 3, excuse me. Somebody else, a promise. Salvation. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. What, what's another promise? Hang on just a minute. I'm going to come to you forgiveness. I heard you. Come again. He will never flood the earth again. Amen. The real meaning of the rainbow, right? Amen. Somebody else? Yes, ma'am. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? He'll never. How long is never? <laughs> Forever. He will never leave us or forsake us. What did you say about forgiveness over here? Amen. He promises to forgive our sins if we confess them to him, right? Amen. Amen. See, see, I think John Stott was right. <laughs> it is a joyful, confident expectation resting on the promises of God. The strongest teaching for the word hope is a firm conviction. You have convictions about things. I sure do. I got the best bass boat made to man. That's a firm conviction. Right? <laughs> I'd blow the horns off a baby if he walked by my deer stand. I mean, that's a firm conviction, right? <laughs> but you got, you got the, the, the word hope in Scripture means it's a firm conviction we can know because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We serve a living Savior today. We have a risen living Lord and Savior. And that, the impact of that truth on our lives is confidence then for life. If not, then what did Jesus mean in John 10 and verse 10 when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Where? <laughs> right here. Right now. He wants you to have that kind of life. An abundant life. Confident life. Even in a pandemic. <laughs> so I hope we've answered the first question. How do we define hope? I define hope as confident expectation or trust or a firm conviction. Based on the promises of God. So what does the Bible say about hope? Let's look at that. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read it beginning at verse 11. Listen to what it says here. In verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you at that time, separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow. Wow. They had no hope, no promise, no confidence whatsoever. Paul is reminding this, these Ephesian believers. The interesting thing about the church is Ephesus. It's similar to our churches today. 
there were Jews and Gentiles in the church at Ephesus. It was a community where just about every kind of pagan worship took place in Ephesus. It was a retirement community. There were people gathered there for the golden years of life, right? It's sounding somewhat familiar. And so they, Paul is reminding them of who they were, what their spiritual condition was before they began their journey of faith of following Jesus. And notice the descriptive phrase in the latter part of verse 12 there. It says, having no hope and without God in the world. That describes, in my way of thinking, the hopelessness of many people in our world who live their lives with no consideration of God and no relationship with Him. I mean, think about it. They have no hope. They have no guidance. They have no peace. They have no knowledge of the one true God. And just before we get too self-righteous, that's who we were. Right? Before Christ. In case you didn't understand the terminology in the book... We're the Gentiles. There might be a couple of transformed Jews in the house, but the majority of us are Gentiles. And we need to remember who we were before Christ and find then in Him the hope that we're looking for. Now listen to Paul's description of those whose lives have been transformed through a faith relationship with Jesus there in verse 13. He says, Two words, I love those first two words of verse 13, but now. Okay, so you once were lost, you had no hope, you had no peace, you had no guidance, you were no relationship to God, but now. Thank you, God, for the but now, right? Of verse 13. In Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of, of Christ. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those who had no hope, those who had no guidance, those who had no peace, have now been brought near to God with a solid assurance kind of hope that's found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's confidence to face whatever life brings because we have the assurance that Christ made the way possible for us to have access to God. We, we read it on the screen together this morning, Hebrews 4 and verse 14. <laughs> Right? We have confidence to come boldly before the throne of grace because we have a high priest who understands where we are and what we're going through. We now have access to God through the shedding of Jesus Christ's precious blood and His victorious resurrection. Now, just a little side note about that phrase, by the blood of Christ. The emphasis on the blood here is to remind us we could never secure a relationship with God outside of Jesus Christ. All of your good efforts, you can clean up, smell good, look good. You could have been, you know, all your life Southern Baptist through and through. And you'll bust hell wide open if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. There's just no hope without Christ. But in Christ, he's reminding them, you who once were far off have been brought near to God through His blood. See, Jesus' blood, a little further about that, His blood is sinless blood. His blood represents the sacrifice. You say, how do you know it was sinless blood? Well, that was the second verse we read, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. We don't have a high priest who can't relate to us, but instead that verse said, He's tempted in every way just like we are, and yet He did not sin. Now, y'all... <laughs> 
I don't know about you, but I've been tempted in all kinds of ways. And I think it's pretty self-evident. I've given in to a few temptations. I like biscuits. I like cornbread, fried okra, stuff like that. And it's evident, isn't it? Yeah. So I, can't, I don't have blood that can cleanse your life. I don't have sinless blood. I'm just like you. Some of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. See, His blood is sinless blood. His blood represents the sacrifice that provides the means for us to have a personal relationship with God. He is the only one who could meet the holy requirements of a holy relationship with a holy God. And the only hope we have is in Him. Paul's reference to the blood should lead us to ask the question, Have I been brought near to God through the grace and forgiveness that's offered to me? Through Jesus Christ. Now, I can't answer that question for you. I'm honestly kind of glad I don't have to answer that question. I, I, I have to answer that question for me. Have I been brought near to God through the grace and forgiveness that's offered to me through Jesus Christ? See, why do you need grace and forgiveness? Well, grace, <laughs> you need grace because outside of Christ, you're living in sin. There's Just like in this text, there were Jew and Gentile. In our day and time, there's only... Two kinds of folks, those following Christ and those who aren't. And if I'm not following Christ, if I've never entered into a by grace through faith relationship with Jesus, then I'm, I'm Sinatra. I'm doing it my way, right? We think we're doing it our way. I'm calling the shots. I'm making the plans. I'm doing what I want to do and what I like most. And I'm the God of my own life. And it leaves me without hope. Because I've seen how good I can do. And it's not pretty. I find myself in a mess. When I try to do it my way. And so Jesus has made a way possible. A way possible that the grace of God. By the way grace in case you're. It's not like a, a woman's name. It, grace means the undeserved or unmerited favor of God. We, we say we're people of justice. We want justice. And we say, amen, everybody wants justice, right? Okay, nobody wants justice in this church. But in most churches where I go, people want justice, right? They, hey, I think we ought to have justice in our world. Amen, right? But when it comes to me, I want mercy. Right? Because justice is what you ought to get. Mercy is what I didn't deserve. I didn't earn it. It's the grace of God, the mercy of God. And then there's that forgiveness this sweet lady over here told us about a minute ago. That he will forgive your sins. Why is that important? Because it says in Romans 6 and verse 23, I'll be back to the PowerPoint in a minute, y'all. Hang on. Uh, Romans 6 and verse 23, that the wages or the payment for a life lived my way is death or eternal separation from God and from his people. For all eternity. I don't know if I believe that or not, preacher. I think you just kind of die and become worm bait. Just put you in the ground, you air in the box, and that's it. Really? And maybe right. I'm banking on what this book says. And it says there's life everlasting found in Christ. And by the way, we're all going to live everlasting lives. Those in Christ and those not in Christ. Those not in Christ will live a life separated from the presence of Christ, the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, in a place of torment. 
Oh, I don't like this kind of preaching. It's not very encouraging at all. I understand. It's not encouraging. I don't want to encourage you to go to that place either. It's described as a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Who wants to line up and let's go this afternoon? I mean, get my hand out. That's a place called hell, and it's, it's prepared for the devil and his people. So God's grace is extended to you today to say, Would you today acknowledge, admit your need of Christ? I don't need Jesus. I don't need nobody. I'm a self-made man. Well, you might be pretty tough, you and John Wayne. But the reality is we all need Jesus. Why? Because we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. Someone greater than ourselves to forgive us of our sins. Let's see if I can figure out where I was in this sermon, all right? Jesus' blood made the way possible for us to have forgiveness and a relationship with God by grace, through faith, in Jesus alone. Today may be your day. That's why she begged you to come this morning. Because Jesus wanted you to be here to hear what he had to say to you through somebody like me. That's why you're here today. <laughs> well, I wish they'd make them kids be quiet. I hope they don't. I hope they don't. Let's let those kids be kids, all right? And let's stay focused on what is God saying to us. What is God saying to me? Because he's got a word for me and for you today. So, these Gentiles had now entered into that by grace through faith relationship with Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on to say they've also been brought into the community of other believers. Now I want us to think about this from the next three verses here in Ephesians 2. Pick it up at verse 14. For he himself is our what? Peace. He himself is our peace who has made us both one. Both, but what do you mean both? Jews and Gentiles can become one in Christ. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, look at it again, one new man in the place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, there was no love lost between Jews and Gentiles. Jews didn't like Gentiles. Gentiles didn't like Jews. They weren't best friends. They were not even close to that. Paul teaches in this passage the wall of animosity or division between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. The ordinances of Judaism no longer hold authority in the life of a believer. And you say, wow, that was a lot to ask of a Gentile to become a follower of Jesus. He had to admit his sins. He had to admit that Jesus was Messiah and that he believed in him and trusted his whole life to Jesus' leadership. It must have been hard for those Gentiles. And I say to that, I'm sure it was as hard as it is for you and me today. But think about the other side of this the equation. Some of these folks in this story were raised Southern Baptist, I mean, uh, Jews all their life, right? They've been Jews all, I mean, they learned the Torah, they, they knew the prophets, the writings, the, I mean, they had learned all the Old Testament and given themselves to it. And now, to be a part of his church, they had to admit Jesus is 
Messiah. But my mom and dad told me he wasn't. But my grandparents told me he wasn't. And if you become one of them Baptists, you're going to burn just like they are. No, wait, whoa, what? See, we get so bound up by our traditions, by our teachings, by different things. History, legacy, family. And we forget we have to admit Jesus is Lord. And when he is Lord, he breaks down the dividing wall. Well, you know, I don't like them. They came from the Methodist church. Those people there, they're former Episcopalians. Can they even be followers of Jesus? He broke down the wall, the dividing wall, and made one body, one man, instead of two. Well, I don't know if we can have black people in our church. We're primarily white here, and we like white folks. I mean, not here. In other churches where I go. And see, we can't have cultural differences. We can't have, we can't let us be who we are in Christ. And by the way, just an update, this just in. Jesus called us to make disciples of Him, not of us. We're supposed to point people to Jesus. Not, brother, if you really want to walk like Jesus, you've got to be like me. No, you can't. I hope they'll aim higher than that, don't you? Right? <laughs> Let's point them to Jesus. And in doing so, we become one family, one body, one man in Christ. His church. For His glory. The wall of animosity has been broken down. You don't, have to come, you don't come to faith in Christ by becoming a good Jew first. That's the essence of what Paul was saying here. Both Jew and Gentile must be reconciled. To God, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Interesting, one of my black pastor friends, he said to me, Brother, if Jesus has reconciled us to God and given us the ministry of reconciliation, what's all this talk about racial reconciliation? That was one of my black pastor friends saying this to me. And I said to him, Amen. Amen, brother. If we've been born into the family of God, my red brothers, black brothers, any other color brothers you want to call them, if they're born and reconciled with Christ, I'm reconciled with them. And if you can't be, then maybe you ought to check your birth certificate. I'm just saying. Because if we've been reconciled with Christ, we've been given the ministry of reconciling others. To Him. To Him. Not to us. To Him. Let me see if I can get back to my text. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let's pick it up at uh, verse 17. Because what is the expectation of we who've been reconciled? What is the expectation? Let's read there in verse 17. It says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Far off Gentiles, those near Jews. Right? For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We both have access through the... See, the same Holy Spirit that fills my life is the same Holy Spirit that fills your life and their life and his life and her life. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, look at this, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Built on the Old Testament teaching, you might say. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Read the Old Testament. See if you don't see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. He's the cornerstone of the foundation of his church in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are, look, being built together into a dwelling place for for God. How? By the Spirit. See, God expects us to grow together and to grow up in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us. For some of y'all, that's a, that's a newsflash, isn't it? Wait, you mean when I got saved, the Holy Spirit came into me? Well, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. I just didn't want to go to hell. That's all I was worried about. See, the Holy Spirit alive in us grows us. He changes us <laughs> if we listen to Him. If we follow Him, if we heed His direction and guidance in our life, see, the expected outcome of reconciliation with Christ is unity among the brothers and expansion of the kingdom of God. How? Through His church. Praise the Lord for Alberta campus, right? We're expanding the kingdom of God through His church in another community. Praise the Lord. May that continue on and on and on in this church. We are to teach what we've received from the apostles, what we've received from the prophets. But our primary teaching, our first and foremost everyday teaching, must be the gospel. Why? Because the gospel brings hope. Amen? Has the gospel brought hope to your life? The gospel, the confident assurance, the deep, firm conviction you have in Jesus Christ, does that give you hope in a pandemic? And a political mess? And whatever's going on in your world and your life? Do you have hope because of the gospel of Christ that you've trusted in? Sometimes I'm worried in the church I don't see a lot of that. Let me just move on because I don't want to get negative here. Hope is encouraged through the application of the scripture. I said this in the first service. It's, it's like through whatever I read and eat, it, it becomes who I am, Right? I mean, if I I read the menu at McDonald's and it says they have egg and cheese biscuits and I eat it, well, here you go, right? I mean, what I eat, I become, right? And the question is, are we having a steady diet of God's Word, the bread of life in our lives daily? And are we becoming what we're reading? If not, we're just kind of hanging out, hoping we get into heaven when we die, hoping that wishful kind of hoping. Instead of that confident assurance that because I know what Christ has done and who He is in my life, I can become like Him toward others and share with them the hope of the gospel. (laughs) That's a novel idea, isn't it? Hope is encouraged through the application of Scripture. Listen to Romans 15 and verse 4. Paul said to the church in Rome, For whatever was written in former days was written, why? For our instruction. To teach us. The Holy Spirit makes application, helps us understand it, interpret it, understand it. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, what's the outcome or the benefit? That we might have hope, right? So so we don't just read the Word to kind of religiously check off a box. I read today, I read today, check, check. And it makes no difference in my life. No, we read and apply the Scriptures and it brings us hope in our life. Hope is also encouraged through the Holy Spirit alive in us. We've mentioned this already. The 
Romans 5 and verses 1 through 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we call ourselves followers of Jesus, since we have acknowledged our sin and need of a Savior, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Are we standing in the grace of God today? Hmm. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? There's going to come a day. I don't know when the day is, and neither does anybody else, by the way. But Jesus is going to come back. Somebody quoted that as their promise they're standing on. Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to take us home. Or we may go before he comes back. Either way, we'll spend our eternity in the presence of God. I've heard people say to me, you know, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to find Aunt Myrtle. She's my favorite aunt, you know. I mean, okay, great. That's, I get the love and connection, relationship and all that. But I think the reality is, you're going to get to heaven and be so blown away by the glory of God, Aunt Myrtle's just going to be another person over there celebrating Jesus with you, right? I mean, you're just going to be blown away. You say, well, how do you know that, Will Lewis? Well, if, the, if, if, if gold is considered asphalt in the presence of God, His glory must be pretty incredible, right? We're going to spend our eternity with Him, celebrating, worshiping, and praising, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And then he says in verse 3, more than that, now this is where I think Paul got a little loopy or something here. Look what he said. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Rejoice in our sufferings? <laughs> you read on. Knowing that suffering produces, in the life of a believer, suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. There it is. Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit alive in us. Right? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Two evidences I see in this Romans 5 passage of a transformed life, of the life of a believer. Two expressions or two evidences I see. Guided by the Holy Spirit. Joy. And hope. We have joy and we have hope. We experience joy as we embrace the hope of sharing in God's glory for all eternity, right? So joy is an outgrowth of a life that has confident access. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace to help and mercy in time of need. We have confident faith. Not, not fearful faith. Like, I really hope so. I don't know Brother Tim said it, and I'm not sure if it's right or not, because I don't know enough Bible. What? No, it's a confident. I'm eating and drinking this word every day. I have a confident faith, a confident hope in the glory of God that we will have joy in the presence of God for all eternity. But a second evidence of a transformed life is hope. And Paul says the trials of our lives... As believers give opportunity for the development of our character, faith, and then resulting in increased hope. Now you think about this with me. Isn't that true in your life? You who have been following Jesus for many years. Has anybody in here been following Jesus for more than 20 years? Would you hold your hand up? I see one, a few, three, six. Yeah. Okay, so about eight or ten of us. Maybe twelve. Okay, so you twelve. Have you not found it true that life is tough? 
Can we just get an amen to that? You said you were followers of Jesus, but life still happens, doesn't it? And you're going along, rocking along through life, enjoying it, things are going okay, and bam, there's that diagnosis. Bam, there's that marital problem. Bam, there's that financial problem. What, it doesn't matter what it is. Life happens to all of us. And so we go facing whatever's ahead of us, and we say, Lord, help me. I don't think I can do this, Lord. This is harder than I ever imagined anything being, right? Anybody been there? <laughs> it's just Lewis, so that's okay. Y'all go with me. And, and in that moment of, God, I'm, I'm, I'm standing on your promises. I'm counting on your word. And you go through whatever that is for however long it takes. And you come out on the other side. And you look back and you say, Lord, it was true. I will never leave you. nor for... Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That was awesome. Look what the Lord has done. Bam! There's the next thing, right? <laughs> Lord, here we are again. I'm still kind of nervous about this, God. But, right? And, and you go through whatever that is. And what's happening? All this time, you're staying in the Word. You're eating the Word. You're growing in your understanding of who Jesus is, who He wants me to be. And your faith is getting stronger. And you go through the trials. And you go through the trials. And you face death. And you face health. And you face whatever. Then you come out on the other side and you only see His faithfulness. His faithfulness. I will never leave you. And therefore, I have strong, confident hope. Confident faith. When this whole COVID thing broke out back in March or February, this young couple in ministry called my wife and I. Hey, could we Zoom with y'all? Sure. I Zoomed up to here. All right. But I said, sure, let's, let's Zoom. Saturday night, this time, they're in a different time zone. And so we talked. And you know what this young couple, a minister, in, in ministry, leadership in a church. Here's what he said to me. We're kind of scared. We've never been here before. We've never seen anything like this. Question, what are we going to do? I, yeah, it is an interesting question. I don't know who said that, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think Siri said it. Uh, but it was a fair question from a young couple in ministry. And, and, and all I could say to them, all I could say to them, I wasn't going to preach to them. I wasn't going to tell them, well, you should have more faith than this. What kind of man of God? You know, I, I could have gone the whole self-righteous thing on them. It would have been worthless. And I said to them, listen, all I can tell you is my story. There have been times in mine and Becky's life where we've just thought, okay, this is it. We're done. We're not going to make it. This is for this reason or that reason, this obstacle, that challenge, whatever. And I said, one thing I can tell you, do you still have faith in God? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't know a question about Jesus. We're confident in Him. I said, then stand in that confidence. That's all you can do. Stand in that confidence. Not in yourself, but in Christ. Stand in that confidence. That confident, faith-assured hope you have in Christ. And here's what I can promise you. Whether we go home to him or he comes back to us or whatever happens, he will not leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. We can have hope. So two evidences of the transformed life, joy and encouraged or strengthened hope through the trials of life. 
We do this because our confidence is in God's ability and His willingness. Now, those are two key words. God's ability. I imagine if I ask anybody in here, do you think God is able to help you through whatever you're going through right now? Everybody would say yes. Is that all right? Is that right? Give me a head nod or a hand wave or something. Let me know you're hearing me. Yeah, I mean, God is able, right? So we all don't, no question about his ability. Question is over that second word, willingness. Is he willing? Well, again, all the example I have to take you to is in Scripture, the leper who came to Jesus with leprosy. You know what leprosy is, skin disease, you know? You had to announce it publicly <laughs> if you had it. Wouldn't that be incredible today? If you had to announce your weakness or your flaw or what, you know, overeater, overeater, you know, stay back. <laughs> That'd be horribly humiliating, right? And yet here was this guy who came to Jesus. I'm a leper. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. And Jesus says, what do you want? Well, I would that you'd make me clean, right? And what did Jesus say to him? Four words. I will be clean. Boom, he was clean. He's willing to make you clean. He's willing to walk with you through whatever life brings. He is not only able, he is willing <laughs> to bring you through difficult times. Why? Because hope is not a superficial optimism. It's a confident assurance that God is with us through whatever lies ahead. Hope is a distinguisher of those who keep the faith through times of severe testing, according to Paul. Hope is not meant to be hoarded. Uh-oh. What? <laughs> yeah, hope is not meant to be hoarded. Hope must be shared. You, you know, I see some people in church every now and then. They're kind of like this piece of paper. You know, I got Jesus. I got Jesus. Woo. Wish y'all had Jesus. Wish y'all had him. Well, I got him right here next to my heart. I got Jesus. Wish you, wish you had him. Too bad. I got him. Right? And we're hoarding Jesus. We're hoarding the hope. Instead of saying, here, I got Jesus. You need some. You need him, right? Here, come on. Come, come take Jesus. Who will take him? Come on. There's hope in Jesus, right? No, no, no. No, no, brother. No, I got, I'm going to keep Jesus right here next to my heart. Stay devoted to him. He never meant for you to keep him the gospel to yourself. Here's how Peter describes it. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. How do we do that? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the what? For the hope that is in you. I know I love what he, that last phrase. I'm glad he put that last. That's for the zealots. You know, they're going to pin you to the wall. You're going to turn or burn, buddy. You're going to know Jesus today. You know, <laughs> Look what he says in that last phrase. Do it with gentleness and respect. Just because somebody may be far away from God doesn't mean they're stupid. Hello? Just because somebody may be lost doesn't mean they're ignorant. Don't treat them like they're ignorant. Share the hope that is within you with respect and gentleness. Robbie Gallaty said it this way, the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. What? Did you hear that? The gospel came to you on its way to someone else. <laughs> so it raises the question, are you a communicator of hope or a hoarder of hope? 
I can't answer that. You'll have to answer that. My last question was, how do we communicate hope? And I'll hurry through this. Hope is communicated, again, through God's ability to save and transform us. Through God's ability to bring peace and unity in His church. Number three, to give assurance of an eternal home. We used to sing an old song about that. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, right? This isn't, this isn't, don't get too comfortable here. There's going to come a point in your life as a follower of Jesus, you're going to change zip codes. Hope you're ready for it, because it's coming. You're not going to live in this zip code the rest of your life. This world's not your home. He has the ability to communicate hope because he gives assurance of an eternal home. Hope is communicated through God's ability to develop our understanding again of who Jesus is and who we, we are becoming as followers of him. And last, hope is communicated through God's ability. Think about this one. To empower compassion for others in us. What? You don't know me, preacher. I'm not really that nice. And I sure ain't crazy like you. I'm not about to try to tell anybody about Jesus. Well, it raises a question of concern for me. And I hope for you. Because again, that Romans 5, 5 passage says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit alive in us. You can't be a follower of Jesus and I hate him. That neighbor, he's cantankerous and mean old cuss. I ain't got nothing to do with him. Really? <laughs> nothing to do with him. You've written him off. There's hope for everybody else in the world except that old cantankerous neighbor, right? Really? How has the love of God been poured into your heart and that's your attitude toward your neighbor or your boss or your spouse or your kids or your in-laws or whoever you fill in the blank with? You cannot hate and call yourself a follower of Christ. That's in the Word. I didn't make that up. See, hope is our message to the world and especially today. I said to the earlier group, wouldn't you think in this day of pandemic, in this day of panic, in this day of fear, in this day of great concern, and ah, what are we going to do, that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would be not only the most loving place in town, but the place filled with the most hope for the world, right? And yet, we talk to our friends, and they're all panicked up, and are you washing your hands, are you wearing gloves, I don't know, what about masks, we shouldn't have a face shield, what are we going to do? We have hope to offer them. Yeah, but Brother Lewis, you still ought to wash your hands. Well, I'm wearing a mask. I'm washing my hands. I'm doing all the stuff we're supposed to do. My faith and my confidence and my hope is in none of that. It's all in Christ. And that's the hope we have to share with people. Yeah, but that sounds like preacher talk. I ain't much into preaching. Okay. Here's the reality. They're looking and they're listening to we who claim to be His church. What we need to ask ourselves is will we show, show the hope that we have in Christ? And will we share it? See, God is at work, I believe, I'm convinced. He's at work in all of our lives. Right here, today. He's at work in all of our lives. Some of us are far off. And he's trying to draw you to him this morning. I know you're distracted by other stuff. I get that. But that still small voice you hear in the back of your mind. Or in the depths of your heart. Is the Lord saying. 
Why don't you today come? And by grace, through faith, in the blood of Jesus Christ alone, be born into my family. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll have a brand new start. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old stuff's gone. New stuff has come. Right? Today, why don't you trust me? And discover that confident assurance kind of hope. There's others of us here. He's trying to draw you back. Back to the one who saved you. Because see, if people ask you, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, sir, I sure am. In 1969, I believe it was, at a such and such Baptist church up in the country. Of blah, blah, blah. And if they ask you, what's he told you lately? <coughs> well, I was at church Sunday and the preacher said, no, 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 what's he told you lately? Well, we hadn't talked ever since Mama died and we had that big argument. So we're stuck at an obstacle somewhere way back in our past. And we've been holding God and everybody else hostage because we couldn't forgive whatever that was to receive the forgiveness we needed and come home to Jesus. And friend, I got good news for you. He wants you to come home today. He wants you to come back to him today. Here's your verse. You need a verse? Here's your verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we are faithful to confess our sins to God, not to Lewis, not to some other priest. We are faithful to confess our sins to him. He is faithful and will forgive our sins and cleanse us like a brand new start. Cleanse us. And that was written to believers in 1 John. So maybe that's you today. You were following him at one time. You did have confident hope at one time, and it's kind of begun to waver. And as the old preachers have always said to me, you know, if you feel distant from God, guess who hadn't moved? God's still right there. He's ready. He'll forgive. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll give you a do-over. <laughs> if you will, by faith, come to him, confessing your need of him. Do you have this hope that's found in Jesus? Did you once have the hope that's found in Jesus, but you've gotten distant in your relationship? My question is, will you open your life to Jesus today? Why don't you open your life to Him? Will you surrender to follow Him every day, right here in this book, learning and growing and becoming just like the rest of us? He wants to save you. He wants to transform your life and give you confident hope for the future. I know this, we can go from here more determined than ever to share this message of hope. I know we can. And the reason we can is because there's hope for everyone in Jesus.